Hey, man, that was great singing this morning. Thank you all so much for leading us this morning in those beautiful songs of praise. Um, it's great to see all of you here this morning with us. I know many of you are watching online, and we're so thankful to have you with us as well. If you're visiting with us, uh, thank you so much for visiting Faith Bible Church here this morning. We want to welcome you here. We've been in a study of the book of Daniel. If you're visiting here with us, we've been going through the book of Daniel. We've made it up into to chapter 8. But I want to leave Daniel this morning in view of Thanksgiving and bring a message from uh, Psalm 138. In fact, we may not come back to Daniel till the beginning of next year, kind of of all the holidays that are coming up. But this morning, I want to bring a message from Daniel 138, or from uh, Psalm 138. And it's a message I've uh, simply titled, Thank God. So if you'll take your Bible and open there with me, I want to read this psalm for us as uh, we begin here this morning. I will give you thanks with my whole heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will bow down toward before your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth will give thanks to you, O Lord, when they've heard of the words of your mouth. They will sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the work of your hands. May the Lord write His eternal word on our hearts this morning. We're all aware that 2020 has been quite a year so far. We still have six weeks to go as well. Uh, But there's been a confluence of a lot of stressors. I mean, added to the normal issues of life is this global pandemic and economic concerns and social and racial unrest. And then you put on top of that a, a contested presidential election. Now, 2020 has been a year of anxiety and fear and cynicism and a lot of negativism and arguing. And for that reason, I believe Thanksgiving this year may be more important than any Thanksgiving in my lifetime. There was so much nasty and negative out there. We need a grateful heart, I believe, more than ever. Now, all of us here as individuals, as families, as, as a church, we need to give serious and sustained thought to giving thanks to God. When you think about it, our nation has turned to God again and again, even in the darkest of times. Turned to God in thanksgiving and gratitude. I mean, think about the Pilgrims' Thanksgiving celebration. I read this week that after the first winter in America, the Pilgrims had seven times more graves than they had houses, yet they paused to give thanks to God. Now, think about the Thanksgiving proclamation of of President Lincoln was given on October the it was issued on October the 3rd of 1863 right in the middle of the civil war I mean, you think it would have been given at some time and everything was going great in our country. It's right in the middle of the Civil War, just a few months after Gettysburg. In fact, the very first Thanksgiving uh, in honor of that celebration at the end of 1863 of November was a week after Lincoln brought the Gettysburg Address. I want to read that proclamation for us as a reminder. And, and as I read this, proclamation by President Lincoln. First of all, let me just say, we ought to be grateful as a nation that God gave us men like this to be our president at various times. When you read this, this sounds more like it was written by a pastor than by a president. 
He said, the year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come, others have been added, which are of so extraordinary in nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart, which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. In the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, which has sometimes seemed to foreign states to invite and to provoke their aggression, peace has been preserved with all nations, order has been maintained, the laws have been respected and obeyed, and harmony has prevailed everywhere except in the theater of military conflict. While that theater has been greatly contracted by the advancing armies and navies of the Union, Needful diversions of wealth and of strength from the fields of peaceful industry to the national defense have not arrested the plow, uh, the, the shuttle, or the ship. The axe has enlarged the borders of our settlements, and the mines, as well of iron and coal as the precious metals, have yielded even more abundantly than heretofore. Population has steadily increased, notwithstanding the waste that's been made in the camp, the siege, and the battlefield, and the country rejoicing in consciousness of augmented strength and vigor is permitted to expect the continuance of years with large increase of freedom. No human counsel has devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And I recommend to them that while offering up the aspirations justly due to him for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience. Commend his tender care, all those who become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable strife in which we are unavoidably engaged, and fervently implore the interposition of the Almighty Hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. What a statement. What a statement. Let's pray together. Our Father, you are the Most High God. You're the Lord God Almighty. You sit enthroned in the heavens. You rule and overrule in the affairs of nations. Yet, Father, you're here with us right now, and you care about us. You love each one of us. You've demonstrated your love toward us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Father, we're thankful for this nation. We're thankful for your kind and gracious hand, Lord, that's rested upon us. Father, we're a nation in need of your help. We pray that as people see how fleeting and how frail life is, the people will turn to you as the only hope that they have in this life or the life to come. And we pray and echo the words of President Lincoln when he said that we ask for your almighty hand to heal the wounds of the nation, restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purposes, to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. Father, for our families, as we gather this year, it'll be different for many of us. We pray, Father, you'll fill us with joy, fill us with thanksgiving, give us grateful hearts. 
And now, fathers, we open your word. We're thankful to you for the inspired and errant word of God. We're thankful for your spirit who lives inside of us. We pray that you'll minister to us as we open the word of God together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Chief Justice uh, Melville W. Fuller was a man of uh, great dignity and integrity. He was a very intelligent, brilliant man who used those services or used those abilities um, in the United States Supreme Court. He was also very involved in the Episcopal Church of his day, and near the end of his life, he presided at a church conference, an Episcopal conference. And a great debate arose, and one of the parishioners got up and, and entered into a great tirade against education. And uh, near the end of his statement, he said, I thank God I've never been corrupted by contact with any college or university. Well, Chief Justice Fuller couldn't take much more of it. He said, do I understand that the speaker is thanking God for his ignorance? And the man paused and said, well, yes, if you want to put it that way. And then Fuller replied, well, all I have to say to you then is that you have a great deal to be thankful for. (laughs) Well, all of us have a lot to be thankful for too. And I pray that all of us realize that and recognize that few things in life are as important and as informative and transformative as a thankful spirit. There's a quote I ran across. This will be online. You can look at this later if you'd like to, but this is a great quote. Gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It turns what we have into enough and more. It turns denial into acceptance, chaos to order, confusion to clarity. It can turn a meal into a feast, a house uh, into a home. Um, It can turn a a stranger into a friend. Gratitude makes sense of our past, brings peace for today, and creates vision for tomorrow. That's what gratitude does in the heart and the life uh, of a person, of course, especially in a believer. The Bible has a lot to say about thanksgiving and gratitude. In fact, there are about 138 passages in the Bible dedicated to thanksgiving. And most of you know that the largest cluster of those are found in the Psalms. And so this morning, I want to look together at one of the great Psalms of Thanksgiving, Psalm 138. You'll notice there the superscription in your Bible says a Psalm of David. Uh, David wrote about half the Psalms, and this section of Psalms from Psalm 138 to 145, those eight Psalms are the last eight Psalms that we have of David in the Psalter. So, Psalm 138 to 145 is a series of eight psalms that David writes, his final ones. And so Psalm 138 is the beginning of these final eight psalms. Now this psalm, we won't take time to look at the one before it, but it's a striking contrast to Psalm 137. If you read Psalm 137, the Jews are in Babylon in exile, and it says, they've hung their harps on the willow trees, and they refuse to sing. They're sad and they're melancholy. And then you come to Psalm 138, and you have a striking contrast, I will give you thanks with all my heart. David breaks forth in this thanksgiving to God. What a contrast from the darkness of Psalm 137 into uh, the light of Psalm 138. Now, this psalm breaks down into three simple sections. Verses 1 to 3, I would call first-person thanks. You notice he says, I will give you thanks. I will sing praises. I will bow down. I will call upon you. So it's first person thanks, and David is kind of looking up. And then in verses four to six, we could call future thanks, where David looks ahead uh, to all the thanksgiving and the praise that will be given to God someday by all of creation. And then we close with verses seven and eight that I call final thanks, where David kind of looks within, a little introspective. 
And he gives thanks to God for um, his work in his life. So it begins with first-person thanks. I will give you thanks. And that sets the theme for this psalm. It's a psalm of individual thanksgiving. And three times you have the word thanks, verse 1, verse 2, and in verse 4. And notice he says, I will give you thanks with all my heart. Literally, it's with all of my being. David is not half-hearted in giving thanks to God. This is a full-throated, full-bodied thanks on David's part. Uh, Charles Spurgeon has his great uh, classic work on the Psalms called The Treasury of David. And in Psalm 138, at this point, Spurgeon says this, David is resolved to praise the Lord and to do it with the whole force of his life, even with his whole heart. We need a broken heart to mourn for our sins, but a whole heart to praise the Lord's perfections. If ever our heart is whole and wholly occupied with one thing, it should be when we are praising and thanking the Lord. That ought to be one time in our life when it's giving to God everything that we have. Now, you notice here he says, I will sing praises to you before the gods. Now, that word gods there is the word Elohim, and it can refer to human beings, to rulers on the earth, or judges. Sometimes, uh, and even in the Psalms, it refers to angels. But probably here it refers to pagan gods. Uh, David is saying here, I'm not ashamed to thank Yahweh and give him praise with all my heart, even before these pagan gods, because, of course, David knows there are no gods at all. And I think he's saying this as well. He's calling these gods to witness that the God he worships is the only true God who's worthy of praise. So David is a monotheistic monarch. He knows there's one God, the true God, and he's worthy of praise, and David's not ashamed to praise him before all the gods. And you and I shouldn't be afraid to praise God before people in our culture who worship foreign gods as well. Notice he says, I bow down before your holy temple. Now, some question, how could David have written this psalm since the temple didn't exist when David wrote this, obviously, because it's his son Solomon who builds the temple. Well, the word used here for temple is also used of the tabernacle that existed before the temple was constructed. So this is the place where God's presence dwelled. David comes and bows down here before the Lord. And David's posture, notice, is humble as he's giving thanks to God. And there's a very important point here that we dare not miss, and that is to really be thankful, you have to be humble. A proud person is never a thankful person. It's when we come in humility before God that gratitude springs forth in our life. This was uh, brought home to me about a little over a year ago. Uh, Cheryl and I had the opportunity to travel to Brazil. We flew to Sao Paulo, Brazil, straight flight from Dallas. And I went down there to speak at a, at a conference with a group called the Midnight Call. And it was a, we had a wonderful time down there, even though almost no one understood us in conversations we had. Um, everything had to be translated. There were wonderful people there. But someone uh, paid for, for Cheryl and I when we flew down there to fly first class. Not if you've ever flown first class before, but my seats in planes are usually back right by the bathroom. I'm all wadded up in some seat, you know, for 10 hours. But you fly first class, the first thing they do is bring you these warm nuts. And they're always bringing you like these hot towels. And I mean, they'll bring you anything you want to eat. They have pajamas there to change into, slippers to put on. Um, you know, the, the seat lays flat, you know, completely flat. I mean, 
this was some like 10 of the best hours of my life. You watch any movies you want or whatever. I mean, we were just sitting there thinking, this is the greatest thing in the world. But what struck me is the guy across the aisle from us was by himself. He had the whole, his whole area to himself. And, and uh, immediately he starts complaining because they haven't brought him his drinks quickly enough. They haven't come to ask him for his drinks. And then a little bit later, he's griping about uh, you know, where he's putting his clothes and whatever. And of all things, later on into the flight, he starts griping about the pillow that he has to sleep on. I mean, it's just one thing after another, just complaining. And they're on the other side of the aisle, or Cheryl and I, and we're just sitting there just smiling and enjoying and just giving thanks for this whole thing. I mean, this is just awesome. But you think about that, what was the difference between that man and us? He paid his way into first class. Ours was a gift. And when you see things as a gift, you're thankful for them. You don't complain and and gripe and expect more. You're, You're thankful for what you have. And I would ask you this morning, which side of the aisle are you on? Are you on the side of the aisle where you believe you paid your way and you have these things you deserve? Are you on the side where you realize that yours was a gift, that your life is a gift, your family's a gift, your health is a gift, your job, financial resources, that all of what you have is a gift from God? When you do that, I can promise you, you're thankful. Someone put it like this. If you feel the world owes you something, brace yourself for a life of sour hours. You'll never get reimbursed. The sky will never be blue enough. The steak won't be cooked enough. The universe won't be good enough to deserve a human being like you. You'll snap and snarl your way to an early grave. A proud man is seldom a grateful man, for he never thinks he gets as much as he deserves. The grateful heart, on the other hand, sees each day as a gift. A humble heart is fertile soil for the seed of gratitude to grow. Notice at the beginning, David bows down before God's holy temple. Now, with his heart of humility, at the middle of verse 2, David now gets specific, and he's going to name the things that he's thankful for. Notice verse 2, and I give thanks to your name for your loving kindness. Notice the middle of verse 2, for you have magnified your word. In other words, David's going to start now giving thanks for specific things. We've all heard that old song, you know, count your many blessings and name them one by one. That's what David begins to do here. He begins to to name these specific blessings. Read a quote by Max Lucado this week that's really ministered to me. This is a great mental image. I want you to think about this all week and, and hopefully into the future. He said this, the grateful heart is like a magnet sweeping over the day, collecting reasons for gratitude. That's a beautiful word picture. A grateful heart is like a magnet that is sweeping over the day, collecting reasons for gratitude. And at night, as our grateful heart is sweeping over the day, you and I should be able to collect reasons for gratitude before we go to sleep at night and thank God every day and every night uh, for His goodness to us. So that's what I want to do here in the moments we have left is I want to, with a grateful heart, for us to go with David as he sweeps over his life and he collects these reasons for gratitude to God. And I see in these verses five things that David is thankful for, five reasons that David has a thankful heart. And he begins here with patience, or you could call it pardon. Notice he says here in verse 2, I give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. The word loving kindness there is a 
well-known word in Hebrew. It's the word hesed. And notice you'll see the same word down in verse 8. Your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. So it's kind of like an inclusio or kind of like bookends to this psalm. The loving kindness of God. Now, this word hesed carries a variety of meanings. It means kindness, loving kindness, mercy, uh, God's covenant love. But he's thanking God here, first and foremost, for God's mercy. And then he says, and for your truth, that God is true, that he's reliable, that he's sure, that we can count on the things that he says. I love Psalm 92, 1 and 2. Write this, that down and read these verses this week in your devotional time. Psalm 92, 1 and 2. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to His name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Same words used here. The faithfulness, steadfastness of God in the morning and His faithfulness by night. Look, for you and for me, ultimately, this is the beginning point of all gratitude to God. All of our gratitude to God ultimately flows out of our thanks and praise to God for His grace and His mercy and His patience in our lives. That's the fountainhead. I mean, it's the wellspring of everything else, that God has been patient with me, that He's been merciful to me, that God has pardoned me. Everything else comes out of that. I mean, in Psalm 103, we just uh, sang the song a few moments ago, Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's based on Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless His holy name. What does He say? And forget none of His benefits. And what's the first benefit He mentions? Who pardons our iniquities. He's a God who's merciful. He's a God who pardons us. Someone has said that the biography of every Christian can be summarized in three words, guilt, grace, and gratitude. We're guilty, God has been gracious to us in His Son, and because of that, our hearts are filled with gratitude. Many of you may know the name Blaise Pascal. Back in the 17th century, he was a a well-known, a brilliant physicist, a mathematician, a philosopher. But Blaise Pascal was saved in in a very dramatic way by God, and he was so grateful, he wrote down his story and account of his conversion and he sewed it inside of his jacket so it would be near to his heart. And here's what one man who describes Pascal's experience, here's the way he puts it. Pascal kept this parchment or this paper on his person for eight years until he died, and he moved it from coat to coat. Whatever coat he was wearing, he put it in there. So it was literally next to his heart wherever he went. He knew that while God would never forget him, that he was prone to forget God. So he sowed a reminder into his life, a daily tutorial. And then the writer concludes with this little statement, if Pascal, who was a genius, needed a reminder sown in his coat, how much more do we need to sow reminders into our lives? You and I need a reminder of what God has done for us in His loving kindness and His grace and His mercy sown next to our heart every day to go to Him every day and above everything else, to thank Him and to remember um, His grace and His mercy and His truth in saving us. That's the first thing that David's thankful for and that you and I need to be thankful for. The second reason to be thankful is prayer. Now, what I mean by this really is answered prayer. Notice here in uh, verse 2, for you have magnified your word according to your name. On the day I called you, you answered me. 
Now, the first part there of that statement in verse 2, you've magnified your word according to your name, is, is notoriously difficult to translate. And translators try to avoid the wrong impression that God's word is somehow greater than God's name. But I think the best way to understand this statement is he's saying to this, God, I trusted your promise, and I prayed, and you answered me far above anything that, that I could ever imagine that you promised. In other words, you've magnified your promise. You could take it that way, according to your name. God, you fulfilled your promise to me in keeping with your name, which is beyond anything I can grasp. In other words, this is kind of David's way of expressing the truth of Ephesians 3, 19 and 20, that God is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all we can ask or we can think. That's what he's saying. You've magnified your promise according to your name. On the day that I called to you, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. We call to God, and He hears us, and He answers us. It strengthens us and gives us reason to praise. Now, God doesn't give us everything we ask for. No faithful father would ever give their child everything they ask for. In fact, I remember reading years ago, John Stott, the great Bible teacher, said, if I really believed God would give me everything I asked for when I prayed, I'd never pray again. Because we ask for so many things that would ruin our lives or destroy us. But we have confidence when we pray to God that God sifts our prayers through His wisdom and through His plan. And God always gives us the things that are good for us. And when we call to the Lord and He answers us, we're to give Him thanks. On the day that I called to you, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. But you and I pray for all kinds of things, and when we pray and when God answers our prayer, the first thing we should do is bow humbly before God and thank Him and praise Him for answering our prayers and for hearing us. There's a story I told some years ago on Thanksgiving. I haven't told it since then. If you were here when I told it, I think you'll enjoy it again, and uh, if you weren't, I think you'll enjoy it for the first time. It's a story by uh, Pastor H.B. Charles. And he told about a woman he knew who showed up at church, and she prayed the same simple prayer over and over again, Oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. She prayed it week after week. And the kids at church would start laughing every time she opened her mouth because they knew what she was going to pray, the same thing, Oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. And finally, somebody asked her, Why do you pray that same prayer? She said, Well, I'm just combining the only two prayers that I know. She said, I live in a bad neighborhood, and we have nights there are bullets flying, and I have to grab my daughter and hide her on the floor. And in that desperate state, all I know to cry out is, oh, Lord, when I wake up in the morning and see we're okay, I say, thank you, Jesus. When I take my baby to the bus stop, and she gets on that bus, and I don't know what's going to happen to her while she's away, I cry, oh, Lord. When 3 p.m. comes, and that bus arrives, and my baby's safe, I say, thank you, Jesus. She said, those are the only two prayers I know. When I get to church, God has been so good to me, I just put my two prayers together and say, oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. Now, many of us here have probably been praying a lot of oh, Lord, prayers in these days. Oh, Lord, maybe about our marriage, maybe about your family or a child who's away from the Lord. Maybe it's about finances or a job or just wisdom to to how to navigate your business during these times. Maybe it's uh, crying out, oh, Lord, for for a health issue or for healing. And it's great to cry out to God, oh, Lord, and God loves it when we call out to Him as His children. 
But when he answers us, we never want to forget to say, thank you, Jesus. It should be the very first thing that we do. It's to say, thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. As the psalmist says, on the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. We thank God for his patience, his pardon. We thank him for his prayers, for our prayers he answers. The third point, and I don't want to spend much time on this in verses 4 to 6, but we thank God for his preeminence. He looks to the future. Basically what David's saying in Psalm uh, 138 verses 4 through 6 is, God, you're so great that my praise isn't enough for you. The praise of the people in Israel isn't enough for you. God, the only way that you can be rightfully praised is for everything on earth to praise you. Look at verse 4. All the kings of the earth will give thanks to you, O Lord. It's future tense. When they have heard the words of your mouth, they will sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. God is so great, he must be praised and worshiped by kings and their kingdoms. Every king will name his name. This is really a a counterpart to, to Philippians 2, which says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord uh, to the glory of God the Father. Back all the way in uh, the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 5, if you read that chapter, it just builds as a great crescendo of thanksgiving to God. And at the end of that chapter, it says, And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The one who sits on the throne, here's God the Father. The Lamb is God the Son. I remember in, uh, down at Dallas Seminary years ago, my professor, Dr. Pentecost, he liked to call God here in the book of Revelation the throne sitter. I remember that. He's the one who sits on the throne. He's the throne sitter. To the throne sitter and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Just a, all of creation uh, offering up praise and thanksgiving to God. And then I love this. In the midst of this statement of how great God is in verse 6, for though He is exalted, He regards the lowly. Remember, that's where we started back up in verse 2, bowing down before God. God regards the lowly. God reaches down into the ranks of humanity and finds people like us to use and to bless. But notice it says, the haughty he knows from afar. Proud people are distanced from God. But he again highlights the importance of humility in giving thanks. But the main thought here is the glory of the Lord is great. All of creation must praise him. The fourth reason for a grateful heart he gives here in verse 7 is protection. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you'll revive me. Now, reading this psalm and all of its thanksgiving, who would have guessed that David's facing trouble? I mean, it looks like everything's going great in his life, but David is expressing thanks in the midst of trouble. And that's exactly what the pilgrims did. Again, seven times more graves than houses. They thanked God. That's what President Lincoln did right in the middle of the Civil War. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you'll revive me. The psalmist here is thanking God for his protection and his preservation. And look, that may be where you are today. You may be swimming in troubles today. You may have people that you're at odds with who are angry at you. Notice what he says in verse 7 You'll stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies. David had his enemies, he had people who were against him. Um, circumstances may be against you, 
But you and I need to thank God for his strong, outstretched right hand. Your right hand will save me when I walk in the midst of trouble. Look, you and I, all of us here, all of us have troubles. You know, there's the old saying, you're either, you know, going into a trouble or you're between troubles or you're getting ready to go into a trouble. You know, Job says in, in, in the book of Job, you know, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. But you and I need to thank God for his deliverance in times of difficulty. But we also need to thank God. I don't know if you think about this often, but we need to thank God for walking with us through the trials of life and bringing them through them. But we also need to thank God regularly for the trials that missed us, for the the trouble in life that missed us, for the things that God has kept from me. God helps me through the troubles of life, but think about your life and all the things that haven't happened to you that could have happened. That's something I think we rarely thank God for. We need to do it. Read about a a soldier came back from Vietnam, and all of his friends wanted to hear gripping war stories from him. He'd he'd been in combat, but they wanted to hear stories about him being wounded and some being shot or a grenade going off near him or something like that. but he kept telling them, look, you know, I was, I was never hurt and wounded and all the time I was there. They knew there had to be a great story in there somewhere. But finally, he said to them, well, the thing I guess that struck me most is the number of bullets that missed me. And I like that. That might not sound as dramatic, but it's just as dramatic as being wounded. It's just as ma- uh, dramatic are the things that missed us. And as we look back on our life, that's one of the things we ought to give thanks thanks for. As dramatic as being wounded are all the bullets that missed us in life. Think about all the troubles that have missed your family. Think about all the troubles that have missed your children. Think about all the troubles that have missed your grandchildren. All the things that God has protected you from in your life. You and I need to thank God for that. The words of the song, Amazing Grace, you know, grace has brought me safe thus far. Grace will lead me home. It's God's grace and his mercy to get us through the troubles of life, but also to keep us from the troubles of life. You know, every day of our life, we wouldn't make it through 24 hours without the protecting hand of God, that strong right hand. We need to thank God for his everlasting vigil over our lives and over the lives of our children and the lives of our grandchildren. Well, one final thing David gives thanks for is purpose. Verse 8, this is a beautiful verse. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. There's a lot of ways to translate the beginning of verse 8. They all have the same idea. Some translations have the Lord will work out his plans for my life. He'll accomplish what concerns me, his plans for me. Uh, The ESV has God will fulfill his purpose for me. But that word accomplish here in the New American Standard means to bring to completion, to carry something to its completed end. And it's saying here that God has a purpose for your life and my life, and God's purpose will not be frustrated. God finishes things in the lives of his people. This is kind of the, uh, again, the Old Testament counterpart to Philippians 1.6. It says, for I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. You have the, the first day and the, and the day of Christ, the bookends of our lives, and our confidence is in God, that God will never receive an incomplete. 
that God finishes what He starts. God will never let go of us. There's an unstoppable work of grace in our lives, and it's God's work from beginning to end. He began a good work in you, and He will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Look, God is at work in your life right here where you are today, and God has plans for your life, and you're not on this path alone. You were put here for a purpose, and you were put here for the purpose of the one who made you. Notice verse 8, the end of the verse. Don't forsake the work of your hands. God, you made me, and you have a purpose for me. To me, it's interesting how these psalms are put together. Again, I pointed out Psalm 137 is this sad, melancholy psalm, and Psalm 138 is a contrast to it. But then Psalm 139 kind of continues Psalm 138 because it's the great psalm that God has made us and he knows us. Look down in Psalm 139 and verse 13. You formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I give thanks to you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet one of them, not one of them, had come to pass. Yahweh's going to fulfill his purpose in my life because he made me. And so I don't bear the burden of finding and fulfilling my purpose on my own. Now, let me give a caution here. One person put it like this this is really a good, uh, a good thought. This doesn't mean we live without ambition or without any sense of direction in life. It doesn't mean we're to wander aimlessly day to day waiting for God to blaze a trail for us. What it does mean is as we strive to live according to God's Word, we have the assurance He's working on our behalf behind the scenes, pulling the strings and making things happen according to His plan. Look, for, for young people here today, and, and all that's been going on this last year, I, I think there's a great deal of discouragement and despair among a lot of young people, a lot of, a lot of young couples. Uh, there's been a, an, a, a tragic spike and increase in suicide. People have, especially many young people, have lost purpose, or they don't think they have a purpose, or they've never seen a purpose for their lives. Let me say this this morning to all of us here, but especially those of you who are younger in this light, God has a purpose for your life. And we need to thank God that He has a purpose for us and that God will accomplish and fulfill that purpose in our life. You say, well, how do I find out what God's purpose is for me? It's very simple. Yield your life to Him. Just yield yourself to Him. And make yourself available to him, and God will show you your purpose, and he'll fulfill it in your life. I know I've stated this quote many times by D.L. Moody. It's one of my favorite ones. Give your life to God. He can do more with it than you can. Give your life to him. Surrender yourself and yield to him, and he will accomplish and fulfill his purpose for your life. And a lot of old, older saints right now, many of you that are older, I think it's, it's a lot of the same thing. Many of you feel isolated and lonely. You're away from people. And you're not able to do some of the things you did before. And you can have this sense that there's no purpose to your life. As long as you're here, God has a purpose for you. And you can read this verse, God will fulfill his purpose in your life. And look, for most of us, it's not some great grandiose things that we're going to go out and do for God. It's the, the daily things of life that we faithfully do for Him. 
But God has a purpose for us in all of that. Now, I don't know about you, but isn't that exciting to know that today? But whatever place we're in, God has a purpose for you. And every one of us should thank God every day. Thank you, God, that I have a purpose and that I can know what that purpose is and that I can know, most importantly, that you're at work in my life every day of fulfilling that purpose in my life. So let's thank God for purpose. Let's thank God for fulfilling that purpose in our lives. Notice the psalm ends with a prayer, a request. This is the only request in the psalm. He says, do not forsake the work of your hands. The work of your hands is him. It's David. I'm the work of your hands, God. Don't forsake me. You made me. Now, I love this. He's just said, God will fulfill his purpose for my life. Now he says, God, don't forsake me. I think it's, it's kind of like he's saying, uh, Lord, um, like the, the, someone said in John's gospel, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Uh, Lord, uh, I know you're going to fulfill your purpose for my life, but God, don't abandon me. God, you made me, and I'm yours. Fulfill your purpose in my life. Look, these are five things for you and me and our families as we gather this year to be thankful for. Be thankful for God's patience, for his mercy, for his pardon in your life. Let me just say this. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never received that pardon. That's what you need to do. When Christ died on the cross, he paid our sin debt in full. He paid it all. And now he can offer to every sinner a full pardon from all their sins if they'll just simply take it. If you've never done that, why not take it this morning? And you, like David, can say, I give thanks to you, God, for your mercy and for your truth. We need to thank God for prayers that God has answered in our lives these last years, this last year. We need to thank God for his preeminence. As the psalmist says, the Lord is great. The glory of the Lord is great. We need to thank God for his protection, the things he's brought us through, but the things he's kept us from and the things he's kept from us. We need to thank God for his purpose, that God is working out his plans in our lives. Again, take that image with you. The grateful heart is like a magnet sweeping over the day, collecting reasons for gratitude. Take your life this Thanksgiving season that like a, a magnet and sweep back over the year and think of all the reasons that you have uh, to be grateful. You have a great deal to be thankful for, every one of you here this morning, and so do I. So this Thanksgiving, let's give Thanksgiving to God and let's do it with all of our heart. I think about this often in my life. I've, I've thought about this. You know, I know I'm never going to be the smartest person in the world. Um, certainly not going to be the best looking or the richest, the most talented, the most gifted. But I've often thought, I've thought about this at night lying in bed. I want to be the most thankful person in the world. I don't want anybody to outdo me in thankfulness. I don't ever want anyone to be able to outdo me in gratitude to God. Every night as we go to sleep to sweep over the day and think about the crowded kindnesses of God in our lives. And I hope you're like that as well. Someday you stand before God. People may outdo me in all kinds of things, and they do. But I want to be as thankful a person as I can possibly be in my life. And the reason I want to be that way is for the Lord is very great. Great is the glory of the Lord. The Lord is infinitely worthy of our wholehearted, full-bodied thanks. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you now, and if there's anyone here who doesn't know your loving kindness, they've never tasted your mercy, may they take that pardon right now that Jesus purchased for them on the cross and receive it. 
and come to know the one whom to know is life eternal. Father, for those of us who know you, like Blaise Pascal, keep our gratitude for your mercy close to our heart. Oh, Father, help us to remember every day, many times a day, your mercy to us in sending your Son to save us and for drawing us to yourself and beginning that good work in us. Father, for each one of us here this morning as individuals, as families, Father, as a church today, may our hearts sweep like a magnet over every day and back over this last year, collecting the reasons for gratitude. May we count our blessings. Never forget to thank you for them. For great is the glory of the Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand this morning? Let's close our day by singing with joyfulness and thankfulness unto the Lord. Oh, Lord, my God, when I am awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed, and then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how
How great Thou art Then sings my soul My Savior God to Thee How great Thou art How great Thou art Well, uh, this Thanksgiving, let's all remember uh, that ours is a gift that all that we have is a gift from God and that the glory of the Lord is great. So I pray that you have a wonderful time. It may be different for a lot of us this year at Thanksgiving, but uh, God can make this a wonderful time of Thanksgiving if we'll yield our, our hearts and lives to Him. If you're visiting with us this morning, if you go out these doors, a little ways down on the right, there's a welcome center. Uh, there's some, some folks here who'd love to give you some more information about our church and uh, just get acquainted with you. Um, I'll be down front here after the service. Our elders who are in this service will be down front, and uh, we'd love the opportunity to get acquainted. And if there's any prayer need that you have or maybe a burden you've uh, brought in here with you this morning, we'd, we'd love to pray with you about that this morning. Well, let's bow our heads now for the benediction as we leave here with the Lord's blessing upon us. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, the Apostle Paul reminds us, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. All God's people said, amen. Happy Thanksgiving. <clears throat>